Chapter fifty six of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six, by Francois Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty six. Louis the sixteenth, ministry of M. Turgot, seventeen seventy four to seventeen seventy six, part one. Louis the fifteenth was dead. France breathed once more. She was weary of the weakness as well as of the irregularities of the king who had untaught her her respect for him, and she turned with joyous hope towards his successor, barely twenty years of age, but already loved and impatiently awaited by his people. Quote, he must be called Louis le Désir, was the saying in the streets before the death-rattle of Louis the Fifteenth had summoned his grandson to the throne. The feeling of dread which had seized the young king was more prophetic than the nation's joy. At the news that Louis the Fifteenth had just heaved his last sigh in the arms of his pious daughters, Louis the Sixteenth and Maria Antoinette both flung themselves on their knees, exclaiming, quote, O God, protect us, direct us, we are too young. The monarch's youth did not scare the country itself everywhere animated and excited by a breath of youth. There were congratulations on escaping from the well-known troubles of a regency. The king's ingenuous inexperience, moreover, opened a vast field for the most contradictory hopes. The philosophers counted upon taking possession of the mind of a good young sovereign, who was said to have his heart set upon his people's happiness. The clergy and the Jesuits themselves expected everything from the young prince's pious education. The old parliaments, mutilated, crushed down, began to rise up their heads again, while the economists were already preparing their most daring projects. Like literature, the arts had got the start, in the new path, of the politicians and the magistrates. M. Turgot and M. de Marzerbe had not yet laid their enterprising hands upon the old fabric of the French administration, and already painting, sculpture, architecture, and music had shaken off the shackles of the past. The conventional graces of Van Loo, of Watteau, of Boucher, of Fragonard, had given place to a severer school. Greuze was putting upon canvas the characters and ideas of Diderot's drame naturel, but Vien, in France, was seconding the efforts of Winkelmann and of Raphael Mengs in Italy. He led his pupils back to the study of ancient art. He had trained Regnault, Vincent, Menageot, and, lastly, Louis David, destined to become the chief of the modern school. Julien, Houdon, the last of the Coustous, were following the same road, in sculpture, Soufflot, an old man by this time, was superintending the completion of the Church of Saint-Geneviève, dedicated by Louis the Fifteenth to the commemoration of his recovery at Metz, and destined, from the majestic simplicity of its lines, to the doubtful honour of becoming the pantheon of the Revolution. Servandoni had died a short time since, leaving to the Church of Saint-Sulpice the care of preserving his memory. Everywhere were rising charming mansions imitated from the palaces of Rome. The painters, the sculptors, and the architects of France were sufficient for her glory. Only Gretry and Monsigny upheld the honour of that French music which was attacked by Grimm and by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. 
but it was at paris that the great quarrel went on between the italians and the germans piccini and gluck divided society wherein their rivalry excited violent passions everywhere and on all questions intellectual movement was becoming animated with fresh ardour france was marching towards the region of storms in the blindness of her confidence and joyante the atmosphere seemed purer since madame du berry had been sent to a convent by one of the first orders of young louis the sixteenth already however far-seeing spirits were disquieted scarcely had he mounted the throne when the king summoned to his side as his minister m de maurepas but lately banished by louis the fifteenth in seventeen forty nine on a charge of having tolerated if not himself written songs disrespectful towards madame de pompadour Quote, the first day said the disgraced minister i was nettled the second i was comforted m de maurepas grandson of chancellor pontchartrain had been provided for at fourteen years of age by louis the fourteenth with the reversion of the ministry of marine which had been held by his father and had led a frivolous and pleasant life through good fortune and evil fortune he clung to the court when he was recalled thither at the age of sixty-three on the suggestion of madame adelaide the queen's aunt and of the dukes of aiguillon and la Vrillière, both of them ministers and relations of his he made up his mind that he would never leave it again on arriving at versailles he used the expression quote, unquote, premier minister quote, not at all said the king abruptly quote, oh very well replied m de maurepas then to teach your majesty to do without one nobody however did any business with louis the sixteenth without his being present and his address was sufficient to keep at a distance or diminish the influence of the princesses as well as of the queen marie antoinette had insisted upon the recall of m de choiseul who had arranged her marriage and who had remained faithful to the austrian alliance the king had refused angrily the sinister accusations which had but lately been current as to the causes of the dauphin's death had never been forgotten by his son an able man in spite of his incurable levity m de maurepas soon sacrificed the duke of aiguillon to the queen's resentment the people attached to the old court accused her of despising etiquette it was said that she had laughed when she received the respectful condolence of aged dames looking like beguines in their coifs already there circulated amongst the public bitter ditties such as quote, my little queen not twenty-one maltreat the folks as you've begun and o'er the border you shall run the duke of aiguillon always hostile to the choiseuls and the house of austria had lent his countenance to the murmurs marie antoinette was annoyed and in her turn fostered the distrust felt by the people towards the late ministers of louis the fifteenth in the place of the duke of aiguillon who had the ministry of war and that of foreign affairs both together the count of muy and the count of vergennes were called to power some weeks later the obscure minister of marine m de boine made way for the superintendent of the district or generalité of limoges m turgot anne robert jacques turgot born at paris on the tenth of may seventeen twenty seven was already known and everywhere esteemed when m de maurepas at the instance it is said of his wife whom he consulted on all occasions summoned him to the ministry he belonged to an ancient and important family by whom he had been intended for the church 
when a pupil at louis le grand college he spent his allowance so quickly that his parents became alarmed they learned before long that the young man shared all he received amongst out-of-college pupils too poor to buy books this noble concern for the wants of others as well as his rare gifts of intellect had gained young turgot devoted friends he was already leaning towards philosophy and he announced to his fellow-pupils his intention of giving up his ecclesiastical status he was a prior of sorbonne the majority disapproved of it Quote, thou art but a younger son of a norman family they said and consequently poor thou art certain to get excellent abbotries and to be a bishop early then thou'lt be able to realize thy fine dreams of administration and to become a statesman at thy leisure whilst doing all manner of good in thy diocese it depends on thyself alone to make thyself useful to thy country to acquire a high reputation perhaps to carve thy way to the ministry if thou enter the magistracy as thou desirest thou breakest the plank which is under thy feet thou'lt be confined to hearing causes and thou'lt waste thy genius which is fitted for the most important public affairs i am very fond of you my dear friends replied m turgot but i don't quite understand what you are made of as for me it would be impossible for me to devote myself to wearing a mask all my life he became councillor substitute to the attorney-general and before long councillor in the parliament on the thirtieth of december seventeen fifty two master of requests in seventeen fifty three he consented to sit in the king's chamber when the parliament suspended the administration of justice quote, the court he said is exceeding its powers end quote. a sense of equity thus enlisted him in the service of absolute government he dreaded moreover the corporate spirit which he considered narrow and intolerant quote, when you say we he would often repeat do not be surprised that the public should answer you intimately connected with the most esteemed magistrates and economists such as messieurs trudaine quenet and gournay at the same time that he was writing in the encyclopedia and constantly occupied in useful work Turgot was not yet five-and-thirty when he was appointed superintendent of the district of Limoges. There the rare faculties of his mind and his sincere love of good found their natural field. The country was poor, crushed under imposts, badly intersected by roads badly kept, inhabited by an ignorant populace, violently hostile to the recruitment of the militia. He encouraged agriculture, distributed the talliages more equitably, amended the old roads and constructed new ones, abolished forced labor, or corvée, provided for the wants of the poor and wretched during the dearth of 1770 and 1771, and declined successively the superintendentship of Rouen, of Lyon, and of Bordeaux, in order that he might be able to complete the useful tasks he had begun at Limoges it was in that district which had become dear to him that he was sought out by the kindly remembrance of abbe de Rie, his boyhood's friend who was intimate with madame de maurepas scarcely had he been installed in the department of marine and begun to conceive vast plans when the late ministers of louis the fifteenth succumbed at last beneath the popular hatred in the place of abbe Terray, m turgot became comptroller general 
the old parliamentarians were triumphant at the same time as abbe terray chancellor maupieux was disgraced and the judicial system he had founded fell with him unpopular from the first the maupieux parliament had remained in the nation's eyes the image of absolute power corrupted and corrupting the suit between bonmarchais and councillor guzman had contributed to decry it thanks to the uproar the able pamphleteer had managed to cause the families of the former magistrates were powerful numerous esteemed and they put pressure upon public opinion m de maurepas determined to retract the last absolutist attempt of louis the fifteenth's reign his first care was to send and demand of chancellor maupieux the surrender of the seals Quote, i know what you have come to tell me said the latter to the duke of la vrilliere who was usually charged with this painful mission but i am and shall continue to be chancellor of france and he kept his seat whilst addressing the minister in accordance with his official privilege he handed to the duke the casket of seals which the latter was to take straight to m de miromesnil i had gained the king a great cause said maupieux he is pleased to reopen a question which was decided as to that he is master imperturbable and haughty as ever he retired to his estate at Thuy, near the andelys where he drew up a justificatory memorandum of his ministry which he had put into the king's hands without ever attempting to enter the court or paris again he died in the country at the outset of the revolutionary storms on the twenty ninth of july seventeen ninety two just as he had made the state a patriotic present of eight hundred thousand livres at the moment when the populace were burning him in effigy in the streets of paris together with abbe terray when he saw the recall of the parliamentarians and the work of his whole life destroyed he repeated with his usual coolness quote, if the king is pleased to lose his kingdom well he is master abbe terray had been less proud and was more harshly treated it was in vain that he sought to dazzle the young king with ably prepared memorials quote, i can do no more he said to add to the receipts which i have increased by sixty millions i can do no more to keep down the debts which i have reduced by twenty millions it is for you sir to relieve your people by reducing the expenses this work which is worthy of your kind heart was reserved for you abbe terray had to refund nearly nine hundred thousand livres to the public treasury being recognized by the mob as he was passing over the seine in a ferry-boat he had some difficulty in escaping from the hands who would have hurled him into the river the contrast was great between the crafty and unscrupulous ability of the disgraced controller-general and the complete disinterestedness large views and noble desire of goods which animated his successor after his first interview with the king at compiegne m turgot wrote to louis the sixteenth your majesty has been graciously pleased to permit me to place before your eyes the engagement you took upon yourself to support me in the execution of plans of economy which are at all times and now more than ever indispensable i confine myself for the moment sir to reminding you of these three expressions one no bankruptcies two no augmentation of imposts three no loans 
no bankruptcy either avowed or masked by forced reductions no augmentation of imposts the reason for that lies in the condition of your people and still more in your majesty's own heart no loans because every loan always diminishes the disposable revenue it necessitates at the end of a certain time either bankruptcy or augmentation of imposts your majesty will not forget that when i accepted the office of comptroller-general i perceived all the preciousness of the confidence with which you honour me but at the same time i perceived all the danger to which i was exposing myself i foresaw that i should have to fight single-handed against abuses of every sort against the efforts of such as gain by those abuses against the host of the prejudiced who oppose every reform and who in the hands of interested persons are so powerful a means of perpetuating disorder i shall be feared i shall be even hated by the greater part of the court by all that solicit favours this people to whom i shall have sacrificed myself is so easy to deceive that i shall perhaps incur its hatred through the very measures i shall take to defend it against harassment i shall be calumniated and perhaps with sufficient plausibility to rob me of your majesty's confidence you will remember that it is on the strength of your promises that i undertake a burden perhaps beyond my strength that it is to you personally to the honest man to the just and good man rather than to the king that i commit myself it is to the honour of louis the sixteenth that the virtuous men who served him often with sorrow and without hoping anything from their efforts always preserved their confidence in his intentions quote, it is quite encouraging wrote m turgot to one of his friends to have to serve a king who is really an honest and a well-meaning man the burden of the necessary reforms was beyond the strength of the minister as well as of the sovereign the violence of opposing currents was soon about to paralyze their genuine efforts and their generous hopes m turgot set to work at once whilst governing his district of limoges he had matured numerous plans and shaped extensive theories he belonged to his times and to the school of the philosophers as regarded his contempt for tradition and history it was to natural rights alone to the innate and primitive requirements of mankind that he traced back his principles and referred as the basis for all his attempts Quote, the rights of associated men are not found upon their history but upon their nature says the memoir au roi sur les municipalités drawn up under the eye of turgot by this time he desired no more to reform old france he wanted a new france quote, before ten years are over he would say the nation will not be recognizable thanks to enlightenment this chaos will have assumed a distinct form your majesty will have quite a new people and the first of peoples a profound error which was that of the whole revolution and the consequences of which would have been immediately fatal if the powerful instinct of conservatism and of natural respect for the past had not maintained between the regimen which was crumbling away and the new fabric connections more powerful and more numerous than their friends as well as their enemies were aware of two fundamental principles regulated the financial system of m turgot 
economy in expenditure and freedom in trade everywhere he ferreted out abuses abolishing useless offices and payments exacting from the entire administration that strict probity of which he set the example louis the sixteenth supported him conscientiously at that time in all his reforms the public made fun of it Quote, the king it was said when he considers himself an abuse will be one no longer at the same time a decree of september thirteenth seventeen seventy four re-established at home that freedom of trade in grain which had been suspended by abbe Terret, and the edict of april seventeen seventy six founded freedom of trade in wine Quote, it is by trade alone and by free trade that the inequality of harvests can be corrected said the minister in the preamble of his decree Quote, i have just read m turgot's masterpiece wrote voltaire to d'alembert it seems to reveal to us new heavens and a new earth it was on account of his financial innovations that the comptroller-general particularly dreaded the return of the old parliament with which he saw himself threatened every day quote, i fear opposition from the parliament he said to the king quote, fear nothing replied the king warmly i will stand by you and passing over the objections of the best politician amongst his ministers he yielded to m de maurepas who yielded to public opinion on the twelfth of november seventeen seventy four the old parliament was formally restored the king appeared at the bed of justice the princes the dukes and the peers were present the magistrates were introduced Quote, the king my grandfather said louis the sixteenth compelled by your resistance to his repeated orders did what the maintenance of his authority and the obligation of rendering justice to his people required of his wisdom to-day i recall you to functions which you never ought to have given up appreciate all the value of my bounties and do not forget them at the same time the keeper of the seals read out an edict which subjected the restored parliament to the same jurisdiction which had controlled the maupieux parliament the latter had been sent to versailles to form a grand council there stern words are but a sorry cloak for feeble actions the restored magistrates grumbled at the narrow limits imposed upon their authority the duke of orleans the duke of chartres and the prince of conti supported their complaints it was in vain that the king for some time met them with refusals threats soon gave place to concessions and the parliaments everywhere reconstituted enfeebled in the eyes of public opinion but more than ever obstinate and frond-like found themselves free to harass without doing any good the march of an administration becoming every day more difficult Quote, your parliament may make barricades lord chesterfield had remarked contemptuously to montesquieu it will never raise barriers m turgot meanwhile was continuing his labours preparing a project for equitable redistribution of the talliage and his grand system of a graduated scale or hierarchie of municipal assemblies commencing with the parish to culminate in a general meeting of delegates from each province he threatened in the course of his reforms the privileges of the noblesse and of the clergy and gave his mind anxiously to the instruction of the people 
whose condition and welfare he wanted to simultaneously elevate and augment already there was a buzz of murmurs against him confined as yet to the courtiers when the dearness of bread and the distress which ensued till the spring of seventeen seventy five furnished his adversaries with a convenient pretext up to that time the attacks had been cautious and purely theoretical m necker an able banker from geneva for a long while settled in paris hand in glove with the philosophers and keeping up moreover a great establishment had brought to the comptroller-general a work which he had just finished on the trade in grain on many points he did not share m turgot's opinions Quote, be kind enough to ascertain for yourself said the banker to the minister whether the book can be published without inconvenience to the government M. Turgot was proud and sometimes rude. Quote, publish, sir, publish, said he, without offering his hand to take the manuscript. The public shall decide. M. Necker, out of pique, published his book. It had an immense sale. Other pamphlets, more violent and less solid, had already appeared. At the same moment, a riot, which seemed to have been planned and to be under certain guidance, broke out in several parts of France. Drunken men shouted about the public thoroughfares, quote, bread, cheap bread, end quote. Burgundy had always been restless and easily excited. It was at Dijon that the insurrection began. On the 20th of April, the peasantry moved upon the town and smashed the furniture of a councillor in the Maupieux Parliament, who was accused of monopoly. They were already overflowing the streets. Exasperated by the cruel answer of the governor, M. de La Tour du Pin, quote, You want something to eat? Go and graze. The grass is just coming up. End quote. The burgesses trembled in their houses. The bishop threw himself in the madmen's way and succeeded in calming them with his exhortations. The disturbance had spread to Pontoise. There the riot broke out on the 1st of May. The market was pillaged, and the second at Versailles. A mob collected under the balcony of the castle. Everywhere ruffians of sinister appearance mingled with the mob, exciting its passions and urging it to acts of violence. The same men, such as are only seen in troublous days, were at the same time scouring Brie, Soissonnet, Vexin, and Upper Normandy. Already barns had been burned and wheat thrown into the river. Sacks of flour were ripped to pieces before the king's eyes at Versailles. In his excitement and dismay, he promised the mob that the bread rate should for the future be fixed at two sous. The rioters rushed to Paris. End of chapter 56, part 1